When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Lately, I've been seeing a trend of people talking about something called medium term rentals or midterm stays. Now, initially, I wasn't quite sure exactly what that meant, but what I was finding is so many people were switching to a midterm model as more cities were saying heck no to short term rentals and they were making it a little bit harder, hence where midterm rentals came from. But they're not a new concept. They're at, they've been around for quite some time. And I'm sure that when we, you go through this episode, you'll probably see that this is not a new thing, but it is something that seems like it's becoming more popular. So because this is something that I think could be a really good option for so many real estate investors, I wanted to bring on Ziana McIntyre. Ziana has been an Airbnb host since 2012. After 10 years of managing short-term rentals across the globe, she's transitioned to selling real estate to investors looking to house hack or live for free. She's an avid real estate investor owning a double-digit portfolio of short and medium-term rentals. In fall 2022, she released the book 30 Day Stay, an investor's guide to mastering the medium term rental co-authored with Sarah Weaver. She teaches listeners how to achieve financial freedom through real estate on her podcast, invest to fi co-hosted with Craig Curlop. He, she has also been featured on Bigger Pockets, Mr. Money Mustache, NPR, Business Insider, and more than 50 podcasts. Ziana has been to 47 countries. She spends half the year in Boulder, Colorado, and the other half traveling the world as an international pet and house sitter. Pretty cool, right? In this episode, we cover a ton of ground. Of course, we talk about how Ziana got into financial independence through real estate investing, how she initially had a $2,500 a month passive income, but she built that within two years. So I think this is very relatable for people just getting started. We talk about how she got into running an Airbnb, getting contracts through Furnished Finder, which is for traveling nurses. If you haven't heard of that, it's a really good option. Why she recommends you start real estate investing with a house hack, what midterm stay actually is, and why they can be so advantageous. We talk about how the pandemic led Ziana to trying the midterm stays, steps to take to convert your short-term rental into a midterm, if that's something you're interested in, differences in supplying costs for short-term rentals versus midterm rentals. The expenses are very drastically different there. And we talk about her experience writing a book on midterm rentals for bigger pockets in three months. That's insane to me. It's so crazy. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I know I definitely learned a lot. So let's go ahead and turn the mic over to my friend, Ziana McIntyre. Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you, and more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score, and those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. 
yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Ziana. Thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm so excited. Okay, so it's always fun to connect with fellow podcasters. So let's talk for a second about your podcast. Tell us a little bit about what you are up to over there. Yeah, it's called Investify. And so our concept is using real estate investing to get to financial independence fast. Both Craig and I, so Craig Curlop, he wrote The House Hacking Strategy with Bigger Pockets. Um, I also just released a book with Bigger Pockets on medium term rentals. And we're both really into using real estate because we were both able to retire before we were 30. And I I guess retire is the wrong word, but have financial independence because we both still work. Let's be honest, (laughs) but it's more passion projects now, you know? Yeah. I love that you were able to hit that amount. How did you know when you were officially financially independent? Yeah. So people usually have a financial independence number because it's based on how much they have in index funds. So when I first heard about financial independence, it was through Mr. Money Mustache and his number was 600K in index funds. And then that was kicking off like 2,500 in dividends a month. And at the time I thought 600,000 was like 2 million, you know, like it was just so much money that was never going to happen. But at the same time, I started doing Airbnb and I quickly realized like, oh, there's other ways. If you're working on cash flow, getting to 2,500 a month is really easy. Like that's one or two properties. Um, And so for me, I was able to do it in two years. Two freaking years? Yeah. That is amazing. How many properties was that to, to get to that level in two years? It was two properties and it was two properties that I was arbitraging, which means that you just rent and sublet. So I don't do that now because I love the equity gains that we get through appreciation, but it was a cool way to start. I'm curious a little bit more about your background. So did you go to college? What'd you study? Where'd you grow up? Give us some more of deets there. Yeah. So I grew up in Maui, which people think is so amazing. And it is, but I also grew up super poor and that makes Maui less exciting. So there's kind of like two sides of Hawaii. It's like the luxury resort. And then there's the people who service those resorts that are cleaning ladies and like work in restaurants and stuff like that. So that's more of the reality that's there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money struggle in the islands. And so my parents were just not good with money. And I just thought there had to be something else. There had to be a different way. And so I spent kind of like my college years trying to figure that out. And so I went to college and I wish I hadn't, honestly, because that just put me 50K in debt. And that was just something I had to like start, you know, you start behind. And now that I'm in real estate, I'm like, you do not need to go to college, but it's cool if you want to. It's just so expensive these days. What did you study in college? I went to fashion school. <laughs> so what? I studied, yeah, I studied marketing, but for fashion and, you know, that was cool. Fun. I, you know, I had a good time in college, but do you, it's expensive. Do you feel like it helped you in any way in what you're doing now with your Airbnbs and short-term rentals and midterms? Like does, does that marketing skill, did it translate? Maybe. Um, I think, 
Yeah, just having like a little bit of business savvy. Um, and then I had started in their interior design program and then transitioned back into marketing. And so I think though that when I was in that program, I just realized that I sucked. <laughs> so <laughs> now that I'm like furnishing places for a living, I'm like, oh yeah. Remember when I sucked? I guess I'm not so bad anymore. <laughs> like, take that schooling. I know. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. And then, okay, so you you go to fashion school, you're studying marketing, interior design, all of this fun stuff. You graduate. What was your first job out of college? So my turning point, just right before that, is that I went to this fashion school and then I went and did semester at sea, which I don't oh. know if you've heard about, but it's like a study abroad where you live on a boat and you go around the world. And on that boat, I was like, I can't work in a cubicle. I can't like sell, like market to people so that they feel like they're not good enough if they don't own Gucci. Like that's not going to work. So I had just a a whole uh, transition there of being like, oh my gosh, this is not working anymore. So that's kind of where I quit. Um, I did have my associate's degree, but I didn't pursue anything beyond that. And then my first job out of college was as an international, well, no, it was a a tour guide, but it wasn't international. It was domestic. So it was like all over the country. I was driving people around and tour guiding through national parks and cities and all that stuff. So I never used my degree. (laughs) And uh, yeah, here I am. (laughs) I freaking love that so much. What a cool job. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really cool job. It was probably one of my favorite jobs. And probably, ironically, very applicable to real estate investing because you got to go tour and see all these cool cities to see where you might want to invest. I think it's awesome. I just didn't have investing in my mind then, but that is a great way to look at it. I just was always a traveler and knew that was something I loved. And so it was just basically saying, okay, I'm just going to do things I love and hope that that leads me to a career at some point. And it did. Yeah. So much. And then what was your first property? So how did you even get into Airbnb or short-term rentals? Was that how you started or did you start with long-term? I started with short-term and I love short-term because it's like real estate training wheels. Like for me, I had a two bedroom apartment that I was renting in Boulder where I live now. Um, and I was, I was actually doing my next college venture, which was massage therapy, which people don't really think of as college because kind of a trade school. But yeah, I was renting a two bedroom. I had a roommate move out. And so I had this spare room and I had heard about Airbnb. And so I thought, well, you know, I already have all the furniture. I have sheets and towels. Like, let me just try it. If it doesn't work. I'll just get a roommate. And so it worked out really well. And I started getting other places. And then the first thing I bought was here in Boulder. But by the time I bought, I already knew the the seasonality, how much I could charge, all that stuff. So it made my numbers really easy. I love that. Do you typically recommend new investors start in their own backyard? Um, it depends if your backyard's really expensive, like you don't necessarily need to move, but you can look in other cheaper markets. What I usually recommend people start with is a house hack. So that is in your backyard. It's literally in your house. So that can look like a lot of different things. It can be renting out by the room and having roommates. It can be renting like a separate basement area. It can even be kind of sectioning off the master suite and having that as its own unit. If it's got like a, you know, outside entrance or something that goes to the backyard, you can kind of make it its own unit. Smart. I love that. And then you did a couple of properties before you transitioned into midterm stay. So let's start with mm-hmm. what the heck is a midterm stay? What does that mean? 
Yeah. So it's over 30 days. And what's cool about it is that after 30 days, you're kind of lumped in with long-term rentals. And so you don't have like transient tax and you don't have to deal with all the regulations that people are super scared of with short-term rentals. So you can do it almost anywhere. And that makes it just like a really good option. I think so too. We're seeing a lot of short-term rental ordinances coming into play where I don't know if it's right or wrong, but there's a lot of people that are really kind of pissed at Airbnbs and VRBOs and like all of that stuff. So I think this is a really good way to view investing too. Is it as profitable as short-term rentals? Well, it can be. So when I first started it, I was just using Airbnb and this other website called Furnish Finder. But what I've been learning now is that Furnish Finder is actually like the discount place where medical professionals go when they're just going to pay out of their stipend. But if you learn how to get contracts through the placement agencies and through insurance placement, um, it can be so much more money. Mm -hmm. And so you can make the same as short-term rental, but less work and turnover. From your perspective, what are the pros to doing midterm stays? Well, I like that it's just easier. So you have a lot of communication and short-term rentals. Like people are learning your house every three days, essentially. And so they have all the same questions. But with a longer-term stay, the average stay is three months, and often they extend to six. And so you just don't hear from people. It's like if you don't hear from them in the first three days, like you're good. They're just a lot more self-sufficient. You know, they they take pride in where they live and you just don't have as much uh, vacancy to deal with or problems with turnover because people aren't moving their furniture in and out. So there's a lot of pros. And with these midterm stays, are you paying to like furnish them? Are they decorated to the same level as a short term? Like paint me a picture of like how that would logistically look. Yeah. So I try to make them really stylish because this avenue, like the medium term space, it's kind of like a lot of granny flats. Like you'll see a lot of rooms that are just like dimly lit with like weird old furniture and quilts. Um, (laughs) And so like, we're just trying to make it stand out. It doesn't necessarily need to have like crazy murals and do all the like short-term things that they're doing now to attract people. It doesn't have to be as Instagrammable, but you definitely want to like stand out with professional photos and cool, stylish pieces. Okay. And that makes a ton of sense. When you were talking about some of the pros of this, of them staying longer, you kind of mentioned getting in the know with insurance brokers Mm -hmm. or insurance agents. So is that for people that are, maybe their house burned down or they were displaced for hurricane reasons or whatever the heck it might be? Or is that the type of insurance claims that you're seeing? Yeah, we had a huge fire here in Boulder where it was like a thousand homes. And so all those people were displaced and not just for a little while, it's like up to three years when they can rebuild. And so that's a huge thing. And it's it's sad, but it's definitely um, a need. You know, people had to leave and go really far out to find places to live. So it really changed their life. Um, but it can also be just like, a water leak where now you have to redo the floors or the kitchen or something like that, which happens to people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there are a lot of different reasons for um, insurance claims. And how would you, is it kind of a luck of the draw where the insurance person just finds your property or are you intentionally reaching out to them and doing more of the direct marketing? 
Yeah. So it can be luck of the draw. And we have had that happen over the years, but now we're being much more intentional about it. So there are ways to network with people, um, usually through Furnish Finders. Like if you talk to any of the nurses, you can say, hey, who's your recruiter? And then go back to that recruiter and say, like, I have all these homes in these areas. Like, do you get a lot of people? How can I help make your job easier? These recruiters are making a percentage on placing their people. And so if you can just be that one-stop shop that's super easy, they'll call you every time. And so it is a little more legwork to build these relationships. But if you're going to make like $500, $1,000 more per month, it's worth setting people on like auto texts or something, you know, so that you stay on top of mind. No, it makes perfect sense. So tell us a little bit about your first midterm stay. Like, did you stumble into this? Did you have somebody just request 30 days or was that an intentional effort? Yeah. So I had a few through the years when I was doing Airbnb, but never really thought about it. It was just like, oh, some people stay a little longer. But the first real intentional moment for me was around COVID. It was kind of a scary time that right around March 2020, all the bookings that were set up for Airbnb for short-term stays, they literally canceled in like a two-day span. It was like when everybody was going into lockdown and people didn't know how long that was going to last. Very shortly after, I started seeing people needing to quarantine. So they were needing longer stays, needing to um, school from home or work from home. And so they needed bigger houses. And so I was like, okay, can I manage to do this? Can I figure out a way to make this work? Because a lot of my properties are in other states. And my biggest thing was like, what if they need to see the property and I have nobody to take them? How are we going to manage this? But I got over all the hurdles and it's it's very similar to doing short-term rental. You can definitely do it from afar. That's good to hear too. And I presume the wear and tear is something people are concerned about, but I don't know if that's necessarily a good belief? Like, is that a limiting belief that we have? Or is it true that they will see more wear and tear on the house? I think medium term is less wear and tear than the short term, because short term is kind of this idea of like, I'm on vacation, I don't really care, you know, I want to party or whatever, right? So it's just a little more lax. Um, With a medium term stay, a lot of these people are here for work. They're business travelers, they're digital nomads, they might be going to the hospital for 12 hours a day, you know, they're not even in your unit. So I found it to be pretty mellow. With your turnovers, is it a much higher cleaning fee? So at the end of it, are you paying maybe like $500 for a cleaning team to come in and just do like a really good deep clean? Or how does that generally work? Is it about the same cost as a normal short-term rental turnover or higher? It's a little bit higher, but it's not crazy. 500 sounds like a lot. That would be a really big house. Um, For us, it just ends up being a little bit more. So I have a couple one bedrooms and I think it's like 75 bucks. Maybe I charge the tenant a hundred and then just like hope that it's not too bad. Yeah. But generally it's not, it's not such a big deal. Logistically, do you require a deposit and any waivers or forms that they have to fill out? Yeah. So if I'm booking through Airbnb, I'm currently not doing leases. I'm just sort of leaning on Airbnb's policies. They have like a million dollar coverage. Um, And I haven't had anybody overstay. I know some people like in California are really worried about squatters and evictions. So if you're worried about it, just do a lease with everybody. 
Um, for people that come through Furnish Finder, I do leases, but they've made them so easy. There's websites now where it's literally fill in the blank. You can e-sign right on the website. Like there's just so much less work involved. Um, but it's great to have that in place. And then it just goes month to month if they want to extend. And then as far as a deposit, is that something oh, that deposit. you collect typically? Yes, we always do a deposit. We just do it for less. So if the house is like 2,500, we're going to only do like 1,000 or 1,500. And then we tell them, we'll take your cleaning fee out of that deposit and then return the deposit to you. Um, and the reason for that is because I change my pricing all the time. Yeah. So you know, if it's going to be a high time of year, I might get 3000 or 4000 for that same $2,500 property. And if I have to change my clean or my deposit every time, I'll be like so confused. Oh, totally. We try to make it easy on ourselves. Yeah. So you just generally will do just like a flat rate for all your properties for simplicity. Yeah. And it's just good for them too, because sometimes these travel nurses are booking their next place. And so they might have the deposit with you, but then have to have a, another deposit put out somewhere else. And they just may not have that much cash. So we're trying to like make it as easy on them as possible. That makes a ton of sense too. Are you finding with remote workers becoming so much more common? Do you see this as being like maybe a trend where people are trying to do more slow travel and just really be immersed in different areas? Is that something you're finding is becoming more popular? Yeah. So before COVID, only 7% of the workforce were digital nomads. And after COVID, it was over 40%. Whoa. So it's crazy. Even if some people are being called back to the office, not everybody will be. And so that's huge. And then there's a trend now with Gen Z that they are seeing that you can have more of a nomadic life. And so they're really excited about living in different properties. A lot of people are not taking a year lease and having one apartment. They're traveling around. I love that idea too. I just think it seems really fun to be able to go live like a local, which is kind of how Airbnb started, right? It was like live mm -hmm. and go back to that roots. Are you finding, is this the midterm state? Do you feel like it's underutilized at the moment? I think there's so much more demand than there is supply. So there's a lot of opportunity to get into the space and just have a professional uh, intention about it, right? Okay. So it's like someone who's going to come in and say, I'm going to put in quality furniture. I'm going to have professional photos. You're going to stand out in the markets. Because if you look at Furnish Finder right now, a lot of them are just not great. And so they want to stay somewhere cute because these people work crazy hours and then they you know, they're coming home to a comfortable space. They want to have a nice, cute apartment. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense to me too. Like that would definitely catch my eye over one that's the dark dungeony feel. And you're like, what the crap? Am I going to get murdered yeah. here? I don't know. Like I, I get it. <laughs> I totally understand that. If yeah. somebody is, maybe they have a short-term rental that, I mean, let's be real. A lot of them with the changes that Airbnb just did are kind of tanking and people are getting a little scared of like, shoot, am I actually going to make money on this? What's going on? If they were to convert their current short-term rental into a midterm, like what were, what would be the steps that they would have to take from your perspective? Yeah. So it's not a lot of change. And a lot of people are doing even just a hybrid model of doing short-term if it's legal in your town through the high season 
and then using medium term to fill in for that slower time. So you don't get stuck with like two weekends booked and you didn't get to like have that even cover your mortgage, which is what happens for people a lot of the time. And then right now, I think they're only tanking because there's a pending recession and people are a little scared. So they're staying close to home. They're not spending as much money. So I don't think that's forever. I think it's temporary. But if you want to switch into medium term rental for the meantime, definitely. Why not? And if you have more than one place in one area, you might want to spend a little bit of energy getting those contracts, trying to meet the people that are placing people on your market. I like it. And the way to do that, is that just like cold outreach? You can do some of that. So you can literally just search in your town, you know, where the hospitals or even um, nurse placement agencies and just start calling people. If you call the hospital, you just talk to their HR department and ask who they place with. The hospitals all have a tier system. So there's trauma level like one through four or five. You want the tier one and two hospitals. Those are ones that get the most travel nurses. So if you call those hospitals, they'll be the ones to help you go. And then anytime you talk to someone on Furnish Finder, figure out where they're coming from. Who is their recruiter? And go back and talk to that person. So, you know, it takes a little bit of time. You'll do it maybe over the years, but you might get to a place where most of your stuff is contracts and you're making so much more. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And I presume it's like you just put this in a spreadsheet, you have it ready to go so that you can remind yourself later of what that looks like. Is that kind of how you track that stuff? Yeah, that's how we're doing it. And then you know, we use a certain software where we can send out auto text and email so we can schedule things like that. Um, if you're using something like that for your guests, like hospitable, you can try to work that out as well for these agents. Sometimes people send them gifts and things like that when you get a placement. So yeah. I like the the gift thing that you just mentioned too. Is that something where you're still making your guests feel super welcome with like gift baskets or are you leaving extra coffee? Like how, how does that differ versus a short-term rental? Yeah. So we don't do gifts for guests. Um, I was talking about gifts for the agents, like the, the mm-hmm. placement agents, right? So if someone gets you a referral, you know, get them a box of chocolates or something, totally. you know, pay it back. Um, but with the, the tenants coming in, we basically just start them with a welcome kit. And so it's kind of like they have a few rolls of toilet paper. They've got um, a couple of pods for the dishwasher and for the laundry, you know, all the basics they need to get started, but we don't want them to feel like they're dependent on us. We're getting them started and then they need to buy their own supplies as they go forward. And this keeps costs down for us. And short-term rental, you're really having to supply everything. And so that's a little bit of a difference. From... All of the people you've talked to over the years that are interested in doing this and are just kind of confused, what is the biggest stumbling point that you think people get stuck on? Hmm. I mean, I think people just overanalyze, so they just never get started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, I I was over here and then I saw this other market and now I'm talking to like five people and I'm like, you're never, this is not going to (laughs) happen. Totally. Yeah. They... Sarah, who I wrote the book with, likes to talk about it in like a dating analogy. She's like, you just have to pick one market and date it like you're going to marry it and it just focus. So yeah, I think you just need to put the blinders on and, and move forward somewhere. It's so true. That's like good advice for anything, really. Just don't overanalyze. Tell us about the book. What was your inspiration for writing it? Was it a gap in the market and you felt like people needed to know this or what was your inspiration there? 
Yeah. So years ago, Bigger Pockets reached out to me about writing a short-term rental book. And for whatever reason, it fell through the cracks. We went back and forth. It didn't really happen. And then maybe a year or two ago, there was a short-term rental book released by another uh, investor with them. And I was like, oh my God, my whole, like, <laughs> I missed this opportunity. I was like so mad at myself. And then last year I was at the Bigger Pockets conference and I was kind of looking at their books and going like, what have they not covered? Just feels like they've already done them all. And then it kind of just the light bulb went off and I was like, ooh, medium term rental. But like, does anybody care about this? You know, I just like didn't know if it was going to be enough of a thing. And gosh, it's really been more popular than I ever could have imagined. So I'm really excited. And I do think it's so valuable for people right now. Oh, I think so too. What was your, yeah. your writing process like? How long did it take you? Did you have a set routine? Like, give me the, the details there. Yeah. So a book usually takes um, two years with a publisher, but because they thought it was really timely, like when we were telling them about it, they're like, nobody's searching these topics. And I'm like, I know, but maybe it'll be good. <laughs> you, know, um, you just wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they actually moved it way forward and they said, hey, could you write it in three months? And so oh. luckily there's two of us. So we split, you know, half a book, but it was a lot. I mean, it's pretty much writing blocks, like, you know, two hours every day or at least three times a week. Yeah. And so I was just kind of writing in the morning because that's when I'm the most clear. And some days were really fun and some days were so hard and you just go through it. But now I'm just so proud of what we made. We really tried to do a lot of case studies and make it like learning through story. And I think that just makes it so much more fun to read. I think so too. When you had those yeah. down days where you're like, dude, I can't think of what to write next. How did you, how'd you like bust through? Did you find any good hacks or tips there? Well, I think the thing that helps so much is to do your outline ahead. So mm -hmm. each, like I went really crazy deep in the outline. So it was like, these are what the chapters are going to be. And then these are the subsections. And then these are the three or four, five points of each section. And then once you just keep going and going and going, it's like that outline drives the next thought or the next story or the next research project, like whatever you've got to look up is there. So that helps so much. But I think what was hard for me is that writing is a little bit of like a spiritual process. It's like a growth experience because there were all these times where I was like, feeling like an imposter or wondering, like just having a lot of doubt and not knowing if it was good enough and hating what I was doing that day. Like I was in the way. So it's not even how hard it is to write. It's just like your own demons. God, right. And they always creep up when you're trying to do cool stuff. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's the worst. But, yeah. My favorite was going back and like doing all the editing after uh, Bigger Pockets read it and changed some things. And like we got to add a couple pieces. And I was like, oh, this is actually great. Like I love it. But <laughs> That's how it always goes. <laughs> at the beginning, I was like, whoa, I don't know about this. So, Which is yeah. so funny because you've got a podcast. Like mm -hmm. you've been doing this, you've been living this life, but that imposter st syndrome still creeped up on you. A hundred percent. Yeah. I always find that so fascinating. So now you've got your book that's coming out and it will be, yeah. it's available currently, right? Yes. So uh, November 10th is when it launched in bigger pockets. And then there's a month lag for Amazon. So if you're like really into audible, it won't be available until December 8th. And biggerpockets.com slash pod 30. Is that the best mm -hmm. place to go to purchase a copy? 
Yes. And then you can use my name, Ziana, Z-E-O-N-A, for 10% off. Sweet. Okay. So when somebody gets a copy of this book, is there a right state of mind they should be in when they go through it? Is this like super actionable? Like what, what can they expect from the book? I feel like don't pick up that book unless you're planning to buy a property by the time you put it down, because that is really what our intention was, is like, we're going to give you every single step very thoroughly so you can go out there and buy a property. Because I hate when it's like these books that are very conceptual. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, (laughs) we just kind of like talked about an idea for a while. I'm like, no, I really want somebody to just go and buy a property. Is it kind of step-by-step system too? So like chapter one is like, do this first, chapter two, next, et cetera. Totally. It's like, what is it? Why would you want to do it? And then how are you going to do it? And it goes through everything of like picking a market and how do you finance it? And how do you furnish it? Who's your team? All of it. I love that. Do you recommend, is this something where if people are kind of struggling with the financing piece, and I know this will be in your book, but is it something where it makes sense to maybe be a co-host and like try to help somebody convert theirs? Or do you, do you usually recommend that people start with their own property? You know, I'm not totally against co-hosting. I did it for years and I think that's great. It's just the way that I look at like arbitrage, co-hosting, wholesaling, flipping, all that stuff is active mm-hmm. and you want to get to a place where you're a little more passive and yes, short and medium terminals are not totally passive because they're more hospitality, But you're getting to a place where if you are in ownership, you can be building equity and that is the most passive income that you can get. And so I just, I don't want people to get stuck co-hosting. I'm like, do it for a little while, but then reinvest everything you make into buying properties. Like keep that goal alive. Mm -hmm. I love that too. Good tip. With your current portfolio, what is it looking like? Is midterm stays, is that just another addition or another class that you're pursuing or are you kind of going all in there? Yeah. So I have 12 units, um, five are midterm, two are short-term, but we do midterm when they're like slower. Um, and then five are long-term right now, but I'm looking at the market and I'm kind of like, Ooh, I think I'm going to turn them all over to midterm or at least half of them as soon as the people move out. And so I'm just kind of waiting on that. Um, it's tricky because, Part of my strategy was like, okay, now I have enough money. I've had enough for a long time. Like, why don't I just go long-term, let somebody else manage it, not have to be involved. But when you see how much more money is there, like it's literally twice market rate. It's just like, well, I could go buy more properties or I could just put in a little furniture, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. So it's tempting, very tempting. It would be. I think this has been a really good conversation. Is there something I didn't ask you that you feel like is important to add to this conversation? Hmm. I think that just like, this is a women and women show, you know, we're both here and there's just like not as many women in the real estate space. And so one thing that I loved about doing this book with Sarah is that we were also really wanting to kind of empower women and get them excited. And so a lot of the case studies in the book are from other women investors. And I just think that, I don't know if this is like maybe to putting people in a box, but I do think that women tend to be better decorators and just more nurturing and good hosts. And so short and medium term is really a space where we can do great. So if you're feeling unsure, like go, go try this strategy. It might be your perfect thing. Heck yeah. Go buy the book. That's going to give you the exact blueprint to follow. 
And then I think it's a great model. I really do. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about this with us. Yay. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, before we officially part ways, you down for some rapid fires? Oh, let's do it. All right. First question for you, aside from your own book, what is one book you find yourself gifting most often? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I really like Profit Like the Pros is also a Bigger Pockets book. And the reason I like it is it's kind of like a sampler for real estate investing. There's all these different case studies and they're really engaging. And you kind of just go from one to the next going like, I want to do that. Now I want to do that. So if you're new to real estate and you're like, what do people do? It's all there. And that's, that's inspiring. I love it. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Mm, I'm going to Colombia, like literally in a couple of days. What? And I've never gone. I don't know why. That seems so crazy. People have just been raving about it forever. So I'm excited. Yeah. That's going to be so, how long will you be there? Just a week, but I think it'll be just a nice taste to be like, okay, do I want to go back or not? How fun. I'm excited to hear about the trip. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a little bit about your favorite book that you find yourself gifting where you want to travel. I'm always curious, are you more of a morning or evening routine person? And what is your, your current morning or evening routine? I am more of a morning person. I just feel like uh, really clear in the morning and I get up early and I just like that quiet time. I am so out of a routine now. So the thing that I love that I did for a long time was the miracle morning. And so he's got like six things. One thing that I'm doing a lot right now is um, hypnosis. They have these self self hypnosis apps. And so I'll listen to like a 30 minute hypnosis about different things. You can be like self-love or confidence or energy or whatever. And you just kind of like relax and, and listen to it. It's really nice. What? I've never even heard of this. This is so cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> My last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Mm. I think it's really getting comfortable looking at your money. There's just this thing that sometimes people have a lot of avoidance about it. And it comes up for me sometimes too, but I know that I feel the most insecure or scared about money when I'm not there tracking it. When I see how much is coming in, I'm actually like, oh, it's all fine. You're going to be great. But if you start to like feel separate from the money, it's easy to start painting these scary stories. I totally agree. Ziana, thank you so much for your time. This was such a fun conversation. I'm grateful that you came on and shared a little bit more about your new book. Thank you. Okay. What'd you think? I love this episode. I thought it was so interesting to see how she was going through the process of financial independence through house hacking, but how it actually came from almost a necessity. I thought that was really fascinating and very relatable. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what your favorite part of this episode was. Take a screenshot of this, tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. And let me know that you're listening in and what your takeaways were. I know it means the world to me and it means so much to the guests too, to see that you're listening in. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes 
ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.